Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 43 of the Kameno Voice. On this episode, I speak to the director of the Stanwood Kameno Food Bank. Please welcome Lynn Ayers. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Kameno Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Kameno Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, Subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I got to speak to Lynn Ayers, who's the director of the Stanwood Camino Food Bank. Um, but we actually don't get into that part of the interview yet um, because this is my very first part one and part two interview. So the this part one is going to go over uh, all the things that led Lynn to the point where she took over the Stanwood Camino Food Bank as director. Um, but you get to hear her whole career path, how he, she started in nonprofits, went into business, uh, started working with some um, a uh, mortgage company, and then moved on from there where she met her husband uh, and how eventually she came full circle and returned back to uh, nonprofits. Um, so anyways, uh, this was a really fun podcast. Lynn Ayers is a great, uh, great interviewee. She has a lot of energy, so um, brace yourself. Uh, anyways, without further ado, here's my first part of the conversation with Lynn Ayers. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to the Kameno Voice. On this episode, I have the director of the Stanwood Kameno Food Bank. Please welcome Lynn Ayers. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here, Brandon. Yeah. Well, we've been trying to get this podcast for a while, but I asked you during the November, December time, which is like one of your busiest times, and now I'm asking you during when you're, your new busy time. <laughs> <laughs> your timing's great. I know. Thank you. <laughs> so I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. Um, so before we get into all the questions, uh, tell us a little bit about Lynn. Oh, okay. What about me? Um, well, I've lived here on the island since 2005, and this was the best decision that my husband and I made. So, um, you know, coming to Camino Island was like our, our gift to ourselves. Um, I, a little bit about me, history, I grew up um, as an army brat. My father was an army doctor and I was born on the Presidio in San Francisco. And then we moved all over the place. So we lived in Kentucky, not my favorite place. We lived, <laughs> you know, all I can remember of Kentucky is snow and mosquitoes. Oh. Uh, and I'm sure there was more things, but that was what's in my brain. Um, Colorado, which I loved, and then Hawaii was my absolute favorite. Um, you know, running around as a kid on the beaches, learning how to sail, just having a blast. And then my father was um, wooed away from the service by a little company called Kaiser Permanetti. It okay. was just starting up in California, and so we moved to Sacramento, California, and that's where I, my family still resides, and that's where I went to high school. Okay, got it. Yeah, and then um, I went off to Eureka, California. I was following a boy, 
And um, I graduated from Humboldt State University with a degree in business administration, personnel management, which is now called human resources. And um, I was really a PE major when I went up there, but um, physical education jobs were shutting down. So I decided business was a really good choice. Yeah. And while I went to school, I I waitressed at Denny's Graveyard. <clears throat> that was fun. <laughs> and, and then I sold um, boots to lumberjacks because it's lumberjack country. And so I I got to serve food and deal with dirty feet. It was um, <laughs> it was quite the experience. <laughs> And then, um, let's see, so my chronology, so I um, graduated from college and I was hired as the executive director for the American Cancer Society, Humboldt Del Norte Counties. And I had no idea what that meant. Um, I went into this interview in my brown corduroy pantsuit, which was super popular at the time. (laughs) And um, I was 21 years old. And they hired me, and I had no clue what I was doing. But they took me under their wing, and um, they set up a bank account for me. They helped me get a car. Wow. Um, and they, they taught me the ropes. And it was probably the best experience ever happened. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It was very cool. Uh, my first day on the job there was the very first Great American Smokeout. And um, I was told to go down to the TV and radio station, and I was doing an interview about the smokeout, and I had just started the job. And so I had to read from a script because I had no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) And then then, um, I got to record, it was a thing called PSAs, public service announcements. Yeah. You would do it yourself down at a radio station. So I I did several of those and um, and then I worked with a group called Reach to Recovery, which was um, a breast cancer survivor group, and uh, they they taught me what the real world of cancer was like, and I learned how to do fundraising and whew, it was a whirlwind. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. So just so we get a little context on this. So when you go back, if we go back a little bit with Kentucky, how long did you live there? Like what ages? So um, in Kentucky, um, I was there from like second and third grade and then moved to Hawaii for fourth, fifth and sixth grades and then moved to Colorado for junior high. And then moved to California for high school. So one of the the cool things about being a, a service member's family was mm-hmm. you're moving all the time. You have to learn to adapt, yeah. adjust, um, make new friends really fast, not get too attached to anything. And so um, I'm pretty comfortable with change and being very fluid. Yeah. Well, good. That's that's a good quality to have, especially right now. <laughs> especially right now, yeah. You have to be resilient and you have to embrace change. Yeah. Well, and that's something for me, like, it's definitely something that's hard for me. Like, I don't enjoy change at 
by any means. And for me, it's like, why would you change it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like to be forced to go in and out of change so often is definitely something that like, yeah, that's a skill set that you get to learn young that, you know, it's, it's definitely harder to learn as you go farther in life. Yes. So, you know, we were forced into it. We didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know most of my, my friends and most of the people um, I'm around, most most people don't like change. Um, yeah. And I don't like to force change, but I'm okay with it. And I'm always prepared for, you know, what is coming next? And, you know, sometimes um, you also, you know, we, we moved around a lot. So one of the things that happened was I was so used to moving around that I, I, if I was in a house for more than a couple of years, I would start getting a little stir crazy and wondering, okay, when are we going to change this up? And so when Jim and I met, um, we never lived in the same place for more than a year or two. And so our daughter was in a new school every couple of years until she got to high school. Wow. She hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you, she did not like that, did not like change. Um, Our our boys were a little more resilient then, but, you know, uh, it was just something that we did. And and then we finally settled down in, in Washington um, down in the Mercer Island area before we moved up here. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So when you went to college for um, business admin, you said you were originally going for PE. Um, yeah. What kind of made you get make that switch to business admin? Well, because um, in California at the time, there was a thing called Proposition 13, and they were cutting all um, extraneous programs, so physical education, music, and arts. And I realized if I got my degree in that, I probably was not going to be employed in that field. So um, the logical choice for me was business. You got to do business because it's always useful and necessary. And so I have a Bachelor of Science, not a Bachelor of Arts degree, because I had taken so many science courses. Um, so that's what my my degree is in. And it, it's proved to be the perfect, perfect thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So then <clears throat> you you talked a little bit about your, your time with the American Cancer Society, but then um, were, was there something interim between those when you were after you graduated or was that your first kind of real job? That was my first real job. So I went from the Denny's graveyard shift and Montgomery wards selling shoes <laughs> that. And so I had an actual job that had normal hours and, um, you know, high expectations. And I worked in a, a it was a very large geographic area. Um, I had a halftime admin and myself. Okay. And, um, and then we ran all kinds of programs in addition to doing, you know, fundraising and, um, community service. We had volunteer groups doing all kinds of stuff. So what it did was it was my first job um, out of college. And then, you know, now fast forward, how many years, 40 years, and 
um, I'm back in nonprofits. And so it's really nice to have the, the bookend, so yeah. to speak. Okay. So then, <clears throat> so you started with them and then how long were you with them? I was with them for three years and then my, um, my grandparents were getting older and my, my folks asked me for some help. So I moved back to the Sacramento area to be closer and um, help with my grandparents. And then I got hired by a savings and loan and I went into a management training program with them. So I was able to base in Sacramento and then travel all over California. And while I was with them, I wrote um, the management trainee survival kit because Because I, there needed to be some kind of, I thought, there's got to be some kind of training manual for people coming on like me that know nothing. You know, um, at the time, how do you get the wrinkles out of your lovely polyester career wear that all the same <laughs> loans had you wear during that time? And, um, you know, when you're going into a hotel or, or, or when you were having a business meeting, what was the protocol? And so it was really fun to kind of put that together and, and navigate my way. And while I was on that training program, that's actually where I met my husband, Jim. Oh, okay. And yeah. I, I know he's been interviewed and I know I've gone through this, but what was he doing at that time when you guys met? He was a manager at the savings and loan and I was a management trainee. Okay. And we were thrown together in a task force, and we had a really, really tough job. Our job was to go to Monterey and Carmel, California, and it's a very, you know, unpleasant place because <laughs> beaches and wine and yeah. And we had to spend <laughs> weeks there on an expense account, whining and dining all the small business owners and invite them to a grand opening of a new branch in Monterey. And it was going to have music and food and beverages, and it was free. And that was our job for two weeks. Wow. So we did that, and then we decided, you know what? We really like each other, so we ran off and got married secretly. (laughs) After two weeks. (laughs) And, and, And we haven't married... 41 blissful here. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> oh, very oh, cool. Oh, my gosh. Crazy, crazy, crazy things. Yeah. Oh, so that oh. was probably our best experience in the savings and loan because, I, I mean, it was beautiful weather. Everyone was happy to see us. Everyone wanted to come to a party. And, and at the time, savings and loans threw the best parties. And so um, no expense was spared back in the day. This was, gosh, back in 1979. Wow. A long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. So please do the math. (laughs) (laughs) I lost track. It's fine. (laughs) Good, good. (laughs) I have to go. Very cool. So then... Uh, while you were there then, is this kind of where, I guess prior to this, had you been involved or like done a lot of wine tastings or has that been, was that something that you had been interested in prior to or 
did this kind of just start that? This started that um, uh, back then. Jim and I thought we had discovered Sutter Home White Zinfandel. It's um, at the time I think it retailed for about two dollars a bottle. It was a pink wine. It was sweet. It was a screw cap. Um, and we thought, oh, we have, we are on top of the world. We've got the, we've, we are such great wine tasters. <laughs> um, we learned a whole lot. We love wine. We, we learned to appreciate wines. We actually, on our honeymoon, we joined a winery called Navarro in the Anderson Valley. It's kind of Mendocino area. And we've been members of theirs for 41 years. Okay. So no matter what's happened in our lives, we have always held on to that wine club membership. And it's to remind us really how long we've been married <laughs> <laughs> and how far we've come in um, our, our palate for wine. So we love wine. We weren't afraid to try anything. Not that we liked everything we tried, but we, we always wanted to try stuff and see what it was like. And um, then we... Yeah, we just we joined lots of clubs and drank lots of wine and enjoyed everything about it. It was super fun, and it uh, it kind of prepared us for when we finally moved to Camino, um, and and our new adventure here. Yeah. Yeah. So then, <clears throat> as far as like learning wine and stuff like that, um, I mean, you get it from experience and doing it. But what were kind of the um, for people that were are trying to maybe get into wine or learn about it, what were kind of the steps that you guys took to kind of can increase your palate and uh, things like that? Well, we went to a lot of wine tastings. We talked to a lot of winemakers. We talked to a, um, we we read a lot, um, but truly, you know, there's a whole mystique to wine and wine tasting and the swirling and the smelling and you know all that stuff. But bottom line is, what is it you like to drink? You know, it doesn't really matter if it has high ratings. Um, you know, I there are certain raters that I trust, but in the end, we each have a different palate. We each experience things differently. And so what is it that we love? And find it and drink it. <laughs> I mean, I've read, I've, you know, we've traveled, we've tried wines all over the world. Um, and it really comes down to what is it that I, I really like or Jim really likes. And we each like very different kinds of wine. Um, and so we have a, a lot. If you can see back behind me, we've got lots of wine back there. Um, yeah, but when I have my shop, you know, one of the things was it doesn't, it's not about the ratings. It's not about the name. It's really what do you like to drink? What kind of price point are you comfortable with? And um, and then go for it. You know, don't be ashamed of it. Just embrace that and go, yeah, this is what I like. And, um, you know, our palates change over time. So mm -hmm. we used to like sweet wines. And then we like Zinfandels. And then we went into super dry wines. And, you know, now we drink kind of the, the whole gamut um, because it's just, it's fun. It's like a party in your mouth. What What's the new experience going to be? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like coffee, coffee, yeah. tea, same same kinds of things. Yeah, there's for sure. So many nuances. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, there's definitely a lot of that. And it, um, I mean, that was kind of our, when we were, uh, not we, because I wasn't there, but when my dad was starting the company and everything and, and how he's crafted the coffee 
um, to this point, and then now TJ continues that on. Um, but we, our mission, I feel, was always to create a great cup of coffee that tasted like you what you would expect, like just a really good cup of coffee. There's a lot of coffee roasters that do like third wave coffee roasting, which is like, um, so like in flavor compounds, wine has, I forget the, the number, but coffee has four times the number of flavor compounds as wine does. Yeah. But that's at the very base level. As soon as you start roasting it, it starts losing some of those off. Well, the, the coffee world has moved to this point where they're like, well, what are all of the flavor compounds in coffee? And so the lighter you roast it, the more of those flavor compounds that get, you know, you get to taste and um, determine. But in that, you can get coffees that are so light roasted, they almost taste more like a tea. Like they're so bright. When you brew them, they're lighter. Like they just don't taste like what you would expect coffee to. And there's this world of coffee where people are aiming for that. But the goal from our perspective was always to create a great cup of coffee that tasted like you expected it to, but just the best version of that. So not burn it and go way dark and not go so light that it's like a tea. Like we try and get all of that middle ground. And um, I think they've done a great job with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, when I was start when I was at the wine shop and and really into wines, um, I was not a coffee drinker. I was one of the few people that lived in Washington state that did not drink (laughs) coffee. And, and I always got that, those arching eyebrows like, Oh, you're one of those. And, um, I think it was three or four years ago, we were traveling in Italy and I tried coffee for the first time. I'd always loved the smell of it, but I didn't like the taste of it. Yeah. I fell in love, came back here. I am a coffee freak now. <laughs> and it is, it's so much fun because it is, it's just, I feel it's just like wine. There's so many different flavor compounds and tastes and, and mouthfeel. And, um, I mean, my favorite is the, what is it? The varietal Supreme or something that yeah. you guys have. Um, and I do my espresso in the morning with that and it's my happy place. And, <laughs> and, you know, since I can't have wine in the morning, having coffee in the morning is perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's the morning wine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. So then, um, so going back then, career-wise, you were at the the loan company. Where did you guys go from there then? Well, so from from there, um, my my children were. I have three kids, so um, and they are within seven years of age of each other. No, within five years of age of each other. And so I had three little kiddos and um, trying to find daycare for three children and working full time. um, My accountant pulled us in and said, you know, says, I hate to recommend this, but I really think that um, you should consider not working full time because everything you're making is paying for childcare. Yeah. And, and your children are away from you guys. So maybe you could figure out something you could do and not be paying for childcare. So we, we worked it out. Um, and I started my own fitness company, um, a corporate fitness company. So going kind of back to that physical education thing that I had been missing. Yeah. Uh, I was a 
competitive racquetball, handball, and tennis player. Um, and I thought, you know what? I can do this. And so we, we were one of the first corporate fitness. We would go in and we would do exercise between the desks and companies because they didn't have, remember we're talking early 80s, they didn't yeah. have corporate fitness programs. They didn't have rooms designated for that. So right. they would push aside chairs and, and bring in a boom box and we'd have our big hair and we would do um, programs. Very you know, cool. Honda, leg warmers. It was just awesome. Wait, okay. So back up a little bit though. You said you were a competitive racquetball, handball, and tennis player. Yeah. When did you do that? <laughs> I just put that all in. So when I was going to school up in um, Humboldt, there wasn't, you know, there's lots of redwood forests and beaches and things. And um, so I took up handball um, and I, I had some great instructors up there um, and, and it took a while. You know, handball is really hard on the hands. You're jamming your fingers and your knuckles and you have bruises and it was kind of an ugly game, but <laughs> it was really the endorphins got going. So um, I learned handball and then um, racquetball kind of came around. I thought, oh gosh, my hands don't hurt as much. Um, and I, I have pretty good eye-hand coordination and yeah, I I played that all through college, and then um, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was one month from delivering her, and um, I won the second or third phase in a racquetball tournament in the state of California. (laughs) One of my competitors complained. They said I was distracting because I was pregnant. Um, But... (laughs) win. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's awesome, though. Oh, my word. I had to get smarter because I couldn't move as fast. So I had to, I had to play a little bit smarter. But oh. uh, yeah, we've got, in fact, Jim's been going through old pictures, you know, with COVID-19. Um, he's getting my honeydew list done. And so <laughs> I'm in the garage going through bins of 40 plus years of photographs and he came across photographs from that racquetball tournament wow that's crazy (laughs) very cool yeah my uh my dad just went through that not just i guess a couple few years ago went through that process of digitizing all of the old family photos we got one of those photo scanners where you just load them up and it just goes and zip you know scans a bunch of photos and yeah that was that was a big project (laughs) yeah but it's really nice to get them digitized because you don't go through those boxes anymore. You no. know, and, and my kids, you know, they're a little bit older than you, but um, they all went, no, mom, no, we don't want those. But <laughs> love seeing them come through on the phone because Jim's been doing using an app to scan. Yeah. And I mean, he went through thousands of photos every day. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. And that was something, you know, I feel like it's still that old saying like, when the people would talk about, they're like, yeah, well, if there was ever a fire, like the, I would go for the photos. I'm like, nobody thinks that way. Anymore. <laughs> you better have them all up in the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Very cool. So then you, how long did you run that business for then? Oh gosh. Um, I ran that on and off for, 
uh, 20 plus years. So even when wow. um, I went back to work full time with um, Nordstrom, I still ran aspects of that because I had clients. I had um, we had moved to Washington State. And so I had a fitness training facility in my house. Um, we just converted the living room because what do you need a living room for? <laughs> and <laughs> we had all the training equipment there. And then um, my kids were um, involved in swimming and water polo. All of them played water polo. And I did the fitness training for the water polo teams. Okay. So I, I kind of kept my hands in that um, even while I uh, went back to work full time. And this is when the, the kids obviously were um, – in middle and high school. Okay. Yeah. So then, then you uh, you said you got started with Nordstrom. When did you get started with them then? So um, Nordstrom, they were like many other companies. This is what two thousand and one, I think. Okay. Yes, yeah, so right before nine um, eleven. Um, I was contacted by a friend who worked for Nordstrom, and they were doing a little bit of online selling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, this is when um, online shopping was pretty new and it wasn't nearly as streamlined as it is now right. or as popular as it is now. And so um, she called me, she said, I just, we need some help. We're having some issues. We've got lots of turnover with our um, product coordinators and we don't know what's going on. Would you come in for the summer and um, just take a look and see what you think? And so I did, and it was fascinating. And yeah, people were, they were being worked 80 hours a week. Um, they were working super long hours. They weren't getting paid well. They weren't getting many benefits. Um, and the turnover was astounding. And so um, at the end of my summer, they asked me if I would stay, and I said, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> Golly. I said, the only way I could do this is um, you're going to need to hire at least 50 people. Here's um, here's what the plan would look like. Here's the recommendation. I know this isn't really what you wanted. Um, and they went, oh, yeah, no, we're not doing that. You know, thank you very much. Goodbye. And then two weeks later, they called me up and they said, okay, we've accepted your proposal. <laughs> Please come back. <laughs> and, um, and we just completely transformed uh, that whole area and got the support that was needed. And, and, um, and then they just kind of flew. Um, so I was there 2001 till 2005 when we decided to move up to Camino. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It was fun. It was crazy. I mean, you know, I went from fitness and um, savings loans and cancer and wine and stuff. And now suddenly I'm in fashion. And if anyone's ever seen me, I am not a fashionable person <laughs> in the least. I was not the walking billboard that Nordstrom, I mean... Luckily, I was in an office. I was behind the scenes because I was not that person who really cared. I'm right with you. <laughs> yeah, t-shirts are really cool. I like t-shirts. Yeah, jeans and t-shirts. Super jeans comfy. Sweatshirts are exactly where I always go to. That's my go-to. Yep. yep, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Got to be comfortable. Yep. 
<laughs> oh, very cool. So then, then you were with them like in that launching phase and all of that then of them yeah. getting started. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, Nordstrom is an amazing company and they were super innovative. Um, they decided during this time that they were going to launch, they wanted to do the, um, the interface for the back part of the shopping experience. They wanted to do it themselves instead of buying uh, something that was already set up. Yeah. And they did that and they launched it and the entire system crashed. Oh no. Oh yes. And so um, I had to bring in, um, oh, like a hundred temporary people. We were doing everything on spreadsheets. And <laughs> And, and I had a, a, a 7 a.m. meeting every day with the um, IT department. I learned more about IT than I ever cared to know. Um, and, and it was um, a very painful process for about nine months. It was like birthing a child. And <laughs> finally they came out of it. And um, it, was, it was such a relief. <laughs> oh, my word. Well, I think what's, I mean, what's fascinating is throughout all of these things, you've, <clears throat> you've, you've managed and, and kind of directed through these different, very different uh, careers and, and different types of jobs and stuff like that. But it, it breaks back down to the whole, if you sit down, can work through the problem, come up with a solution, and then figure out a way to implement that, you can, you can use that skill set in any, no matter how you get to apply that. Yeah. I, 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 I consider myself a fixer. Yeah. Take a look at something, find a solution. Um, and usually it works out. Um, <laughs> I love, I love puzzles. I love, I love that whole idea of, ha, huh, okay. Yeah. Present a challenge and let's see what we can do with that. And, um, and luckily too, there's tons and tons of talented people around, you know, to tap into. Um, I I am not an expert in anything. Um, I'm a generalist, but um, I certainly know all the experts, and um, I love collaborating with people and making, you know, saying, okay, here's here's what we've got. How are we going to make this better? Right. Or how are we gonna change it? Or or should we do something? Yeah. Well, and that's something like my, my brother-in-law, TJ, who runs the coffee roaster has been very good at, and he's tackled a bunch of different types of projects as well. Uh, not quite as broad, but like in his thinking, that's how he works through it. It's like breaking down the problem, breaking it down into steps and then implementing those steps. And, um, yeah, it's always been very helpful for me to be able to go to him and be like, okay, this is my problem. What do I start with? And, uh, yeah, very yeah. cool. Yeah. And not to be afraid of it. Yeah. Um, you know, every once in a while, every once in a while, you can kind of go, oh, no, no, is that one too big for me to tackle? And then, you know, if you sit on it and breathe, usually um, you can find a way. There's always, there's usually a way. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's graceful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So then from Nordstrom, that you said you were there until you guys decided to move up here then. Yes. Okay. So, um, decided to retire again. And, um, and so we were trying to figure out where that would be. And we wanted to be on the coast. And so 
I took a road trip by myself, drove down the coast of Washington, Oregon, and California, and came back three and a half weeks later and said, oh man, I couldn't find anything that fits right. And so Jim pulls up a map, he goes, hey, there's this place called Island County. And there's an island in Island County that has a bridge. Why don't we drive up there and see what that's all about? We had driven on the I-5 corridor forever. We had never noticed the turnoff for Stanwood Camino. <laughs> and we were blown away. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, what a little piece of paradise. Yeah. And so we drove here, we, we drove to Windermere, we got an agent, and two weeks later we'd made an offer on a house. <laughs> we do everything in two-week increments. I see that. Uh, <laughs> and it was, I mean, we just, we, we fell in love, it was the perfect place, and as soon as our house closed, Jim moved up and slept in a sleeping bag while I closed up our house on Mercer Island and got, got everything moved out. Um, he couldn't wait to be up here and get involved in the community and, and um, just, you know, see this. I mean, yeah. it, it was the best move we've ever made. Very cool. So then how long after moving did you guys start um, looking into getting something else started? Because you guys retired, you moved to Camino. We were not, I was not looking for anything. <laughs> I was not, I was not looking to do anything else. Um, I was going to walk the beaches and do my photography and drink wine. And so we found this great little wine shop that was in the Camino Commons Marketplace. Um, and we got to know the people there. And somehow they started planting this seed that we needed to buy the shop. And um, and it was not, that was not something <laughs> it ever considered. So Jim was still working in Seattle. So he drove to Seattle five days a week and then usually was out of the state doing stuff. And then, um, you know, we, we Bonnie Brindle uh, had the wine shop. It's called the Great Blue Heron. Yeah. And she said, you know, I'm really interested in selling it. You're interested in wine. Um, why don't you do it? And we finally just said, huh, let's try it. Why not? Let's see what happens with it. And I think ignorance is bliss because I have no idea what the retail world, <laughs> a, a small business retail. I mean, you know what this is like. Yeah. It's, it's, it's seven days a week. Yep. It's nonstop. <laughs> and if someone doesn't show up, you got to do it. Yep. <laughs> and, and, and there's so many components to it. It's not just drinking wine and selling wine. Um, <laughs> it's a whole lot more. Uh, but it was a neat opportunity. Um, it, that was in 2006. So we'd been on the island for a year. And okay. um, bought it from Bonnie. And she had, she had started a small wine club there. They had 32 members. And so we invested in inventory. We brought the inventory from about 15,000 up to 40 to 50,000. Wow. Yeah, um, dollars of wine. And then we expanded the wine club to between two and 300 members. And those, that, those wine club members 
became our friends. That's how we got to know people on the island. Okay. Because if I was watching, walking the beach, I'm not talking to anyone. Right. Um, but in the wine business, you're talking. It's all about conversation. It's about connections. And so all of our friends that we have here, everyone that we've met was through that wine club. Oh, very um, cool. And and they were more than customers. They, they are our friends. Yeah. And and if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't we wouldn't know as many people as we do now. Um, and so we had wine tastings every Friday and Saturday. We had wine events. There was music in the marketplace. Because when Bonnie had that original business, there was a clothing shop, a meat market, yeah, art, a bookstore, and our wine shop. Okay. Yeah. So there was a lot of um, things happening in there. And um, it was probably the most exciting, exhausting <laughs> thing I've ever done. <laughs> and um, uh, the business came with an employee. Her name is Mary, and she still actually is doing um, wine and Smoky Point um, to this day. Okay. But she she was instrumental in um, helping us navigate the wine world, and then teaching us how to buy the wine and, and how to do the stuff. Um, and then, you know, I, I took my business side and went, okay, we can expand this wine club. We can, we can do more. We can have some private events. And um, those are the things that I love the best. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I remember the events that, um, like, I didn't go to them, obviously. I was a little young, but... Um, reminded <laughs> <laughs> <People> me. <laughs> But but it is something that, like, we've kind of chased getting back to um, and, and haven't successfully gotten that. But that, like, the events where you would just drive up at in the evening and the parking lot would be full because you guys had yeah. live music and events and people wandering about. And, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was a great environment that you guys had. Yeah. Well, and I think it was – there wasn't um, all the other businesses that you guys have now in – Terry's Corner, um, yeah. not of those places existed then. And right. so it really was just the, the little building and um, I think Islanders Pizza. Yep. And so um, we wanted a place for people to be able to come and hang out because there really isn't a lot of opportunity on the island. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, um, and it was nice. It was safe. So people could be there until you know nine or 10 at night and, and have a really good time. Um, and I hope, my hope, Brandon, not me, but my hope is that someone else will open up something similar. It would be really cool to have that, you know, with tap. You've got so many cool businesses there. And then to just have that as an anchor. So you've got the beer and the wine. It would be and the coffee. And yeah, be cool. Be really yeah, cool. for sure. Yeah, it's something we, we continually are looking at as like. Um, something we'd be really interested. You know, we've talked about um, something we think would do great in the complex would be like a wine lounge slash tapas bar. Yes. So, Perfect. you know, yeah. whenever you're retired from your next thing. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> oh, very cool. So how long, did, so when did you guys actually end up um, closing that down then that was in 2009 so um uh 
Bonnie, when she originally, she and her husband bought that building, Mm -hmm. um, he passed away and um, Bonnie needed to sell the building. And so it was a decision-making time for us. Do we uh, try to find a new location um, and continue the business or um, do we say this is enough? And at that point, it was this is enough. Mm. Um, I am not a bookkeeper. And um, I was having to do the bookkeeping <laughs> along with everything else. And that is not my forte. Um, I'm willing to tackle anything. That, you know, QuickBooks and that kind of stuff is not what I do best. <laughs> and, and so I was um, hiring contractors to come in and do that because they're, we couldn't find a bookkeeper to save our lives. Yeah. Um, and so I said, you know, that's it. So when we announced it, we were afraid that we were going to go home with forty or fifty thousand dollars worth of wine and to our house. So we announced it to our wine club members. They got first choice to come in and purchase wine. Um, I never sold below um, the price we paid. And the day that we closed, we have nine bottles of wine left in our shop. Wow! So I had to order wine because I needed some wine to bring. <laughs> nine bottles was not enough. <laughs> Oh, well, you still had your trusty club, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they, oh my gosh. Yeah, they were, they were awesome. If if it hadn't been for them, you know, they kept us going through the the winter because, you know, we lose a lot of our population in the winter up here. And so um, I would imagine like your coffee club, the wine club really kept us going through the winter time and then allowed us to flourish in the, the May through October when we have most of our um, residents back here on the island. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, a big thank you to Lynn Ayers for joining me for uh, part one of this podcast. Uh, be sure to come back next week for part two, where we get to go into how she actually got involved and started with the Stanwood Camino Food Bank, as well as how they reacted and dealt with the situation surrounding COVID. Um, for more information on this episode, you can go to CaminoCommons.com slash EP43. That's CaminoCommons.com slash EP43. And thanks for listening and see you next time for part two.